don't care. We're activists. Hello and welcome to episode number 151 of the Random Thoughts podcast. That is R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. And on today's show, we have a couple of rock and roll stories for you. A bit of politics, a smattering of cancel culture and a little crypto thrown in for good measure. And as always, these things seem to kind of intersect with each other as the world moves into a more insane place, seemingly on a daily basis. The first thing I wanted to talk about was the story that just popped, which was the kid that was on the cover of Nirvana's very famous second album, Nevermind, is now suing the estate of Kurt Cobain and the rest of the members of Nirvana, as well as just about everybody involved in that album. I think everybody, even if you're not into grunge, rock and roll, whatever, you've seen that album cover, which is the little baby boy swimming underwater with a dollar bill on a fish hook in front of him. Well, the guy, his name is Spencer Eldon. He is now 30 years old. And as I said, he's filed a lawsuit against Kurt Cobain's estate and the other members and a bunch of other people saying that they all violated federal child pornography statutes because in the picture, you can see little Spencer's little Spencer. And that was part of the album cover. It was not blurred out or anything like that. He's claiming that because of that, he was sexually exploited, and he is claiming that he has suffered lifetime damage, lifelong damage, from the photo being out there in the public. He's claiming that neither he nor his guardians consented, which, I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to consent to anything at four months old, so the question would become what his guardians or parents did at that particular time. But his claim with this lawsuit is that the band, the photographer and the record labels all quote, intentionally marketed Spencer's child pornography and leverage the shocking nature of his image to promote themselves and their music at his expense. Now, this, again, goes back to Nirvana's early days. They were not a popular band at the time. This was their second record, first with Dave Grawl, the first on DGC, the subsidiary of Geffen Records. And it had a whopping $60,000 budget to make the album, which is next to nothing. It certainly is an iconic album cover. So I went to see what the great Wikipedia had to say about the artwork and this is the entry they have the album cover shows a naked baby boy spencer eldon swimming underwater with the u.s dollar bill on a fish hook in front of him just out of his reach according to cobain he conceived the idea while watching a television program on water births with dave grawl 
Cobain mentioned it to Geffen's art director, Robert Fisher. Fisher found some stock footage of underwater births, but they were too graphic for the record company to use. Yeah, I can imagine that might have been the case. Furthermore, it says the stock house that controlled the photo of a swimming baby that they chose wanted $7,500 a year for its use. Instead, Fisher sent a photographer, Kurt Weddle, to a pool for babies to take pictures. Five shots resulted in the band settled on the image of four-month-old Spencer Eldon, the son of a friend of Weddle. So, okay, so the kid's father was a friend of the photographer. Geffen were concerned that the infant's penis visible in the photo would cause offense and prepared an alternate cover without it. They relented when Kurt Cobain said the only compromise he would accept would be a sticker covering the penis reading, quote, if you're offended by this, you must be a closet pedophile. The cover has since been recognized as one of the most famous album covers in popular music. And a few months after that shot, photographer Kirk Weddle also photographed the entire band underwater for a promotional poster. So I don't know about you, but this seems like your typical money grab for so many different reasons. I mean, one of them is that for the album's 10th, 17th, and 25th anniversaries, the guy, Eldon, recreated the cover shoot for photographers. And he wanted to do the 25th anniversary one in the nude, but the photographer said, no, keep your clothes on, kid. So the concept that he was somehow living this down his entire life doesn't quite make sense. If you are participating in a recreation on the 10th, 17th, and 25th anniversaries of the album, but his lawsuit is claiming that at four months he was forced to engage in commercial sex acts, which I'm not really sure if he knows what that means, and that the band went back on an alleged promise to conceal his genitals on the album cover. Now, there would have been no way he was involved. In the negotiations, because he was four months old. And if his father, who was a friend of the photographer, had been involved in any such negotiations, it does not appear that they were in writing or that there was ever a problem, because I don't see any news stating that the father ever talked to the news media and said this wasn't the whatever they agreed on, this wasn't the photograph he wanted used. They got paid 200 bucks for the iconic image. I mean, hey, pay for play, as it always is. According to the lawsuit, quote, the permanent harm he, this speaking of Eldon, has proximately suffered includes, but is not limited to, extreme and permanent emotional distress with physical manifestations, interference with his normal development and educational progress, Lifelong loss of income, earning capacity, loss of past and future wages, past and future expenses for medical and psychological treatment, loss of enjoyment of life, and other losses to be described and proven at trial of this matter. This is absolutely insane. This is a case of a four month old having their picture taken. That's it. And if he hadn't been 
going along and having pictures taken at 10 years old, 17 years old, then at 25 years old, nobody would even know he was the kid. I mean, you don't look at a baby picture of anybody and be like, oh, nope, that's definitely him. So this concept that he couldn't live that photograph down is utter crap. He was obviously embracing being that kid for a long time. And now something flipped in a switch in his brain and he's like, oh, I should have gotten money for this. I was exploited. This is the whole world we're living in now. Everybody's exploited. Everybody's me too. Everybody's woke. You have to be afraid of every little thing you're going to say, every little thing you're going to do. Because somebody's going to come back 25 years later and be like, oh, no, you hurt me. This is a bunch of crap. Absolutely a bunch of crap. That this is any way sexually exploitive. This is a very dangerous, I think, precedent that would be set if anybody taking a photo of their kid is going to be charged with child pornography if you can see their genitals oh my god you better not take a picture of little johnny little jenny while they're in the bathtub because this is the way the world's going folks this is not good this needs to be smacked down and this kid who's still acting like a petulant brat needs to be smacked down and go find a real job and stop trying to live off the fact that you were photographed 25 years ago And that photograph just happened to become really, really popular. He's obviously been trying to make a living off of that photograph ever since. And I'm sorry, that's just not the way the world should work. And I don't believe for a minute that he suffered any kind of emotional damage because of this and that he can't get a job and he's lost previous jobs and can't get insurance. The fact that he was continuously recreating these photos over the last bunch of years says a lot more than anything else. The fact that he wanted to recreate the 25th anniversary one fully in the buff would also say he's kind of okay with his junk being seen, wouldn't it? I mean, if he was really so traumatized that this happened to him as a four month old, then would you want to recreate that fully in the buff? I don't think so. But thank you to that photographer that said, no, no, just keep your shorts on, kid. But uh, he talked about the recreation and said, the anniversary means something to me. It's strange that I did this for five minutes when I was four months old and it became this really iconic image. Now, that reaction makes a lot of sense. Because that is the sane and rational thing to look back on this and say, hey, when I was a baby, my parents let somebody take my picture and that picture became famous. Again, you look at that picture and you look at him. You're nobody knows who this kid is. Nobody knows. Go look at any baby picture. Somebody at four months old, you probably can't pick them out of a crowd when they're 25, 35, 45 years old. But it was just a few days before he said that, which shows maybe he's a little bipolar or something. I don't know what his particular issues are. He said, quote, I'm pissed off about it, to be honest. I've been going through my whole life, but recently I've been thinking, what if I wasn't okay 
with my freaking penis being shown to everybody. I didn't really have a choice. Again, this is where parents all want to pay attention to this case, as ridiculous as it is, because if anybody in the authority, you know, if anybody, a judge, a court says that this picture is illegal because they took a picture of the kid's hoo-ha when he was four months old and he didn't give consent, all parents better go to their Apple devices right now and delete every photo you have of your kids if they're in the buff. I mean, you might want to actually delete all photos of your kids because I don't think the being in the buff thing has a whole lot of play with this. I don't think it has a whole lot of a bearing that your kids are going to be like, hey, I didn't ask mom to take my picture when I was one at my birthday party, and now I'm pissed. Better be careful, parents. Better be careful. You're letting your kids grow up to all be a bunch of woke douchebags at this point, and that's not good. It is not good. This case is going to be interesting for that reason. I mean, again, the case in a nutshell is the kid's parents took him to the pool with the photographer friend. The photographer had been sent off on a mission to get a picture of a kid swimming in water because that's what Kurt Cobain wanted. And this is the story of the Nirvana Nevermind album cover. There was also some kind of weird thing like, well, there's a dollar bill in front of him. So it looks like he's performing sex work. <laughs> it's like, no. No, it does not. I always looked at that part of the image outside of anything to do with Nirvana or the music involved on the album. I always saw that as either a uh, criticism or an embracement of the capitalist system because the kid seems quite happy to be going for that dollar bill. And you can make the case either way, which is what good art can usually do, which is somebody could point you to that image and say, Haha, see, man, that kid's already hooked. He's just he's being scammed. He's in the capitalist system and he's just going for that dollar bill. Oh, man, his life's already ruined. And other people can look at that image and go, hey, this kid's already embracing what is great about America that you can make it on your own. You can make it big. You can be rich. You can be famous. You can be anything you want. And good art can often be interpreted in different ways. And I think this album cover is an example of that. And I believe Spencer Eldon is uh, fully partaking in the capitalist system because the lawsuit seeks damages and an injunction to seek the band from profiting from the hit album so this is all about money spencer just wants some money he thinks he hasn't been given enough by being famous at 30 people writing stories about him all of these recreations of the album art he's done over the years because he had his picture taken at four months old he thinks he deserves to get paid for the rest of his life because somehow your parents allowing you to get photographed at four months old with your little dingleberry hanging out means you can never get a job or you can never be psychologically sound and your whole life is just crap. I don't quite get it. 
I think we're going down a very slippery slope where people are going to be able to blame people for things they did years and years and years ago, whether or not there's any credence to it or not. And uh, as I said, it's going to be interesting to follow this case. It may be a long, arduous journey, and it may get slapped down immediately. We'll have to wait and see. But there is some other uh, more interesting, more pressing things going on in the world. One of those is the, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe the infrastructure bill that is being pushed right now in the United States. Way, way, way too big. And as is usually the case with these huge omnibus type bills, with these huge spending bills, is there is a lot of stuff buried within the legislation that is going to do things that people just aren't ready for. People don't understand because nobody reads the bill. You know, we have to pass the bill in order to see what's in it. Nancy Pelosi once very famously said this little tidbit buried in this infrastructure bill goes after a lot of the cryptocurrency market. And the most interesting thing is there's been a bipartisan group of lawmakers who have been trying to get this amended. But Nancy Pelosi, no, not so much, doesn't want to get this amended. The way it stands right now, this could really have a major impact on cryptocurrency in the United States. The government, in a nutshell, wants more control. I know that's not really a surprise. But with crypto, the government's worried about getting their fair share because, you know, nobody pays their fair share. It's all about equity, blah, blah, blah. And the government wants much more control over crypto. And because of that, they're looking to get laws put into place, which would require the reporting of crypto transactions. I mean, there's already laws on the books where if you go into your bank, And I don't remember exactly what the threshold is right now. I thought it was like 6,000 at one point where if you're taking out a certain amount of cash or if you are depositing a certain amount over these thresholds, they get reported to the IRS and the federal government because, you know, maybe you're funding terrorists or something like that. If you want to have some real fun and you have the ability to do so, go into the bank and try to pull out 10, 15, 20,000 dollars in cash. And wait for the questions that you will get asked in order to figure out what you're doing with that money. It's like, wouldn't you rather have that in a check, sir? No, no. Give me the cash. And uh, you're going to get a lot of questions. But this is what they're trying to do in the crypto market, because a lot of the cryptocurrency exchanges and that there's no reporting. The government's very afraid. They're using things like all of this malware that people come out with and then have ransomware where there's payoffs involved. And they're going to use that just like they use the excuse of, oh, won't somebody think of the children? But the extreme nature of what is in this omnibus bill not only goes after the people that are involved in the crypto exchanges, which is the type of place somebody will go to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. Coinbase, very well known, one of the larger ones that is actually a publicly traded company here in the United States. But beyond 
just going after the companies that allow you to buy and sell cryptocurrency. They're going after the people that are doing the mining, people that are writing the software, people that are creating the hardware, which this could have a very negative effect and basically end up sending all of this outside of the United States. Because right now, this is all about reporting. This is not going to make crypto illegal in the United States. I think that's something they may be looking at doing. And I think I've talked about that here. I know I've talked about that over on Grumpy Old Ben's, but I believe that is probably in the pipeline at some point. But what will happen if this omnibus passes as it is, is that a lot of these things will just move out of the United States. This is the problem when you have a worldwide thing, a worldwide entity. Crypto doesn't need to exist. These exchanges don't need to exist in the United States. You could be sitting here just outside of Chirac and access an exchange in Moscow or Wuhan. It doesn't matter. If you trust the exchange, then you can do business that way. You can get your crypto, you can put it into your own wallet. And this is a really bad idea. And the fact that there is a bunch of politicians who seem to understand this and are trying to get this amended, but are being ignored is, uh, is an interesting thing. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is just the evil, wicked witch of the West. I don't think there's a question about that. Joe Biden. I mean, we've gone a whole episode so far without telling you Joe Biden doesn't know what day it is and he's clueless, but this is going to prove it even further, along with the fact that Joe's approval rating down to 41% because of the Afghanistan debacle. And Joe, you're not going to be doing yourself any favors if you let this bill get passed and end up destroying the cryptocurrency market, a lot of cryptocurrency jobs, a lot of innovation that could be happening in the United States. But, you know, we've made the suggestion to you in the past that what these folks are doing is actually trying to crash the system. And I think this may be another case with this crypto bit in this infrastructure bill where the usual folks who want socialism or communism, or one of those, anything but capitalism. This is, again, a way to try to bring down the system that has been working here in the United States of America since its inception. But we'll follow that. We'll follow where this crypto thing goes. It's probably going to be another fun story to keep track of. But yeah, Biden's approval rating down to 41%, and he's getting blasted at this point by people on all sides of the aisle because the disaster of the Joe Biden presidency already seems to be crystal clear to the point to where even people that were backing his election can no longer sit on the sidelines and watch it happen. Now, I have no idea if Angelina Jolie said anything when Joe Biden was running. I don't know if she said anything good or bad about Joe Biden. I don't know if she said anything good or bad about Donald Trump. I'm guessing she probably said bad stuff about Donald Trump. 
but I thought it was interesting because there's a lot of your typical liberal actresses and actors who do nothing but give lip service and you can't really take them seriously. And maybe if you do, I don't know why. I mean, if you want to really care about what Bruce Springsteen says, that's fine. I think he makes some really good music. Not going to listen to him on politics because he's a guy who admits he's never had a real job in his life. But Angelina Jolie has been an activist for years. And the reason I will give her a little bit of a wide berth here is because she had been to Afghanistan. She has been working with people in the area long before September 11th of 2001. So I think it's interesting that she just joined Instagram. And it appears that she kind of just joined Instagram because she was so pissed off about the way the Biden administration has handled this Afghanistan thing. And she wanted to make some public statements. I mean, she did. I think it was in Time magazine or something. She had penned an article, but this is a much better way. That's one thing social media will do is allow people to get whatever they want to say out there. Now, she also was the fastest person to hit like a million on Instagram. Yeah, I don't really care about that, but I thought that was interesting and was now up to almost like 8 million or so people following her on Instagram. And she just torched Joe Biden's Afghanistan, uh, his record here, his uh, performance, whatever you want to call it. She said it was sickening and a, quote, betrayal and a failure impossible to fully understand. And I think that kind of uh, says it all. Joe Biden bumbled this thing. We have people in the country, including female journalists who are afraid for their lives. People are getting killed. And the whole country has pretty much evaporated into a total mess, which you could probably make the case it was going to happen once the United States pulled out. And I don't disagree that the United States didn't belong there full time. There had to be an exit strategy. But before you exit the country, you make sure that all of the American citizens, all of the Afghani folks who helped the military when it was there, all of the journalists, people that will have their lives now in danger because of the Taliban takeover, you help them get out or you at least give them the opportunity to get out before you allow the utter and complete collapse of law and order in Afghanistan. But that is not what Joe Biden chose to do. He's still not taking questions from reporters that should, again, scare everybody involved. And his approval rating down to 41%. That is cratering. And even the people in the media that have been trying to prop him up, and there are still a few, but they're now fighting a losing battle, which is why I think you're going to see less and less of Joe Biden. I do believe he is not capable of leading the country at this point. But Kamala Harris is also taking a whole lot of heat from all different sides at this point. 
because she still can't help but laugh when asked about anything serious, including the situation in Afghanistan. And I don't know what kind of special mental problem she has. And I do believe she has some kind of mental problem because otherwise you can control yourself. If you cannot control your body and your reaction to things like this, you've got a serious problem. When reporters ask her about Afghanistan and she gives you that joker laugh, it's not a good look. It is really not a good look to be like, Madam Vice President, what do you think about these women and children all getting raped and killed? And she's like, <laughs> let me just tell you, it doesn't make any sense. She's got to have some kind of problem. But when you look at Biden and think uh, if he's incapacitated, who do we go to? I think right now, Joe Biden in whatever diminished state he is, he may think he's on the planet Voltron right now, I think is a better leader than Kamala Harris, which I'd like to thank everybody who voted for these clowns for putting the country and the world into this situation because it literally was a life and death decision. And y'all made the one that is causing massive amounts of carnage. So just live with that and remember that and know that elections do actually have consequences. They do have repercussions. Your choice is not just a little something you're clicking a button or making a check mark or filling in a little circle and nothing happens as a result of that. In this case, the world is not in a better place because of the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I saw a story that uh, woke cancel culture is coming after Notre Dame now, the Fighting Irish, the leprechaun mascot. And as somebody named O'Neill, I just want to let everybody know I don't care. I've never been offended by the leprechaun. I've never been offended by the term the Fighting Irish. It was a derogatory term used against Notre Dame back in the day. And once Notre Dame started becoming a pretty formidable school in things like football and that, they took the name back and started using it as their own moniker, the Fighting Irish. The leprechaun itself, I think we all understand, is just a character. But I've often said it's kind of interesting when you look at a lot of this stuff. If you have to go after Uncle Ben, and Aunt Jemima and all that kind of stuff. Well, then any character at all of any one specific ethnicity is going to be fair game. And I don't know how we sanitize the whole world. I mean, everything just looks like robots from here on out, or you can't use any, which seems like uh, a bit of overkill. But all of this stuff seems like a bit of overkill. And a reason maybe you just live with it and get a grow a thicker skin and realize there are bigger things in the world to worry about. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who were really worried that the Washington football team was called the Redskins, who are now just like, don't give a crap that women and children are being killed and slaughtered in Afghanistan today. Or they don't care that there are still millions of slaves in Africa. Don't care. 
I mean, at least we got that football team. <laughs> they, they changed their name. We're really, we're activists. And uh, people need to worry about the things that really matter. And in this case, the Notre Dame leprechaun and the fighting Irish moniker don't care. Never took offense. Not a Notre Dame fan either. Always hated Notre Dame. When the DePaul Blue Demons would play Notre Dame, always took extra special joy in beating them down. So just because I'm an Irish guy doesn't mean I like Notre Dame. You don't have to. That's part of freedom. You get to make your own damn choices. But it was a sad week in rock and roll as the Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts passed away at the age of 80. And there were some good Charlie Watts stories that were circulating. One, I thought it was interesting that he was a jazz drummer. He didn't really want to join the group back in the day and was kind of convinced to. He'd made comments like, you know, I thought maybe this whole Rolling Stones thing would last five minutes or so. And he figured that uh, he would join in and enjoy it. Lasted a little bit longer than the five minutes. And he became a bit of a rock and roll legend. He was an interesting guy because he never learned to drive, never had a license, but he collected old cars, which I mean, that's good. I mean, selling him an old car must have been great because he couldn't drive it to tell you if it was in good condition or not. But he had over 200 suits, some of them which matched the cars. So he would put the suit on to go enjoy the car while he would just sit in the car and turn it on and do whatever you could do without driving the car. But he was a very fashionable guy. I think usually drummed in the full suit and tie and was the backbeat of one of the biggest bands in the history of rock and roll. Now, there's a story that floats around in a few different versions with a few different details to it. But this is how it was told in Keith Richards book and quoting. There was a rare moment in late 1984 of Charlie throwing his drummer's punch, a punch I've seen a couple of times, and it's lethal. It carries a lot of balance and timing. He has to be badly provoked. He threw this one at Mick. We were in Amsterdam for a meeting. Mick and I weren't on great terms at the time, but I said, come on, let's go out. And I lent him the jacket I got married in. We got back to the hotel about five in the morning. And Mick called up Charlie. I said, don't call him. Not at this hour. But he did and said, where's my drummer? No answer. He puts the phone down. Mick and I were still sitting there pretty pissed. Give Mick a couple of glasses. He's gone. When about 20 minutes later, there was a knock at the door. There was Charlie Watts. Seville Row suit. Perfectly dressed, tie, shaved, the whole fucking bit. I could smell the cologne. I opened the door and he didn't even look at me. He walked straight past me, got hold of Mick and said, Never call me your drummer again. Then he hauled him up by the lapels of my jacket and gave him a right hook. Mick fell back onto a silver platter of smoked salmon on the table and began to slide toward the open window and the canal below it. And I was thinking, this is a good one. 
And then I realized it was my wedding jacket. And I grabbed hold of it and caught Mick just before he slid into the Amsterdam Canal. It took me 24 hours after that to talk Charlie down. I thought I'd done it when I took him up to his room, but 12 hours later, he was saying, fuck it, I'm going to go down and do it again. It takes a lot to wind that man up. Why did you stop him? My jacket, Charlie. That's why. I mean, that's rock and roll right there, isn't it? Later on, a quote from Charlie Watts on that story was, quote, the bottom line is, don't annoy me. It's not something I'm proud of doing. And if I hadn't been drinking, I would have never done it. But he did. And that is one of the legendary stories of the late drummer Charlie Watts, the man that spent decades keeping time behind Keith Richards and Mick Jagger and Ronnie Wood. I do think that the best part of that whole Keith Richards story was the fact that he was pissed, got up, but made sure he showered, shaved, put a suit on before coming up to punch Mick Jagger squarely in the face. I mean, that is rock and roll legend. No question about it. But here on the Random Thoughts podcast, it's just me. I don't have a whole band behind me. So I triply, quadruply, quintupletly, whatever, appreciate everybody for giving their time listening to the show, letting me do my rants, telling the stories. And we do work on the value for value model here, which means we put the shows out there. There's no paywall and you get to decide what you get out of the show. And you can turn that into a monetary value and send that back our way by going to randomthoughts.com, R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com slash donate. Click that donate button to do a one-time or monthly donation through PayPal. Use one of the QR codes or wallet addresses there if you want to go the crypto route while it's still perfectly legal in the United States. And also, you can use the P.O. Box address if you want to go the snail mail route. They are all very much appreciated. Our buddy, Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley, started a new monthly donation to Random Thoughts, 15 bucks a month. He included a note that says, along with no agenda, grumpy old Ben's random thoughts gets me through my walking and cycling workouts. Thanks and stay random. And uh, I get it. When on the cycle here in the house, I I used to listen to music, which was good for cycling or being on the treadmill. But then, you know, you get this video thing. So I put a big television right in front of the recumbent bike. You can sit there and pedal on and watch some kind of content because it's all about just distracting yourself from the fact that you're working out. And the longer you can distract yourself, the longer you can work out, which is a good thing. So we hope we're helping uh, keep you healthy, Sir Sean. It's a service that we provide and we appreciate you coming in with a monthly donation and supporting the show. And we hope more people can come in and be a part of the Random Thoughts community to keep the microphone sounding good, to keep all the servers running, all the things that go on to make sure a podcast can always be there when you need it. And the show is fully podcasting 2.0 compliant. So, I mean, you can prove to me you're listening on a podcasting 2.0 app, which you can find at newpodcastapps.com by boosting right now. Boost 
boost, boost, and we will see you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful concept. Thanks to Adam Curry and Dave Jones for making this podcasting thing grow in ways that a lot of people never have even considered. If you haven't been keeping up, you can check all of their latest developments at podcastindex.org. But I will be back next Wednesday to talk at you once again. Until then, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.